And you're now listening to Talking Fimas. Happy New Year, TLK Infamous. I'm Socially and co-host Saint. Yes, and today we have our guest, Sean Antoine II. What up, what up? Yes, he is a filmmaker slash producer. Also, you know, Athlete. Athlete. Admission, <laughs> director, everything. One of the youngest in the nation, by the way. So thank you for coming on to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm doing good. It's a new year. I'm feeling refreshed. Uh, just excited to get after these goals. And uh, I'm just happy to be on y'all show. Y'all got one of the dopest podcasts. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm definitely glad to be here. Well, I'm so happy that you, you know, you are interested to be in the show. And, you know, I came across your page from Saint because yes. he showed me your work. And I, it was so impressive. Like, I was in awe. And I was like, wow, this man is doing, like, so many different things. It's not even within the same genre. I wanted to know, how did you guys even meet? Uh, so we actually met through um, a friend, Egypt. Um, he was working on a project with her because uh, she was doing like a rebrand mm-hmm. and uh, we just connected and then I seen some of his work as well and we just like you know, we need to have you on because you know we're all about giving you know that platform to people who's doing things in their community so I seen what he was doing I was like yeah we have to have him on so how did you first get into filmmaking because I know you mentioned that you um, first started filming when you was 10 years old yeah doing football games yeah um, so I f- it's, it's crazy um, I actually didn't realize this till a couple years ago. Uh, one of my mentors was like, you need to put together a bio. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your journey? Everybody, you know, wants to hear a story. And uh, I had to think about it. I was like, damn, my first time actually putting together videos and kind of storytelling happened when my dad used to record my Harlem Jet football games. And I was 10 years old. And uh, I used to use Windows Movie Maker. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kind of just piece together. All right, this is my game. Here's some like hip hop music. I think the first video I had, I put uh, camera on. My dad was like, "Yo, put that cam song, grill him, and uh, put that together with your football video, and uh, let's put it on YouTube." And this is when YouTube first started. Yeah. And uh, it was with the Harlem Jets. And then from there, it was like, all right, I know how to put together videos. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept making like highlight videos of my games. And then it continued through high school. And then when I got to college, um, the Black Lives Matter movement started. Yeah. And I. I kind of took away a couple years from filmmaking, mm-hmm. but um, one of my friends put together a protest. I came through, and um, somebody at my college was like, yo, this is some great footage. You should make a documentary. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I put together my first documentary called The Movement, which talked about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is at its early infantry stages of like, um, what is the Black Lives Matter movement? Right. Right. What does it represent? Especially like, during that time, I went to a PWI, uh, University of Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and uh, most of my classmates were white, um, and none of them really understood what it was. So for me, it was like, all right, I got this footage, I understand what it is, but how do I you know, communicate with them and kind of put together a message through the footage I have to kind of educate them on it? So that's how I really transitioned from you know, early on editing like football highlight videos, yeah. To then kind of moving towards documentary filmmaking and uh, kind of educational kind of work, um, so that's kind of how I started in filmmaking. And did you think at the time like you knew that's what you wanted to do, or is this like all oh, this happened all naturally? Honestly, nah, I, I really didn't know anything about my future in filmmaking. Yeah. Um, so I made that project, 
And then I went to India with my school. You went to India? I went to Ooh, India. Tell me more. You went to India. Yeah, went nice. To India. India is dope. Yes. Um, a lot of people... I, actually, I never met anybody else from New York that's went to India. So yeah. I'm glad that you told me that. Yeah, <laughs> we got to chop it up on that. <laughs> and uh, so I went to India. I went to Delhi, Agra, and Jaipur, my school, me and my boy Calvin. And then from there, I was like, hey, this is my second time, like, potentially shooting something. Yeah. So I was like, let me just film everything in India. Right. So um, I kind of kind of did a diary-style documentary. It's like 40 minutes mm-hmm. of just, like, what is it like in India? What is the lifestyle, the culture, the food like there? And then uh, I put that out immediately, had a little screening at my school. And then the summer of 2016... Um, Nate Parker had reached out, who directed Birth of a Nation. Right. He was in Beyond wow. the Lights. Yeah. And uh, this was after he won Sundance. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, I want you to come to my first inaugural film school during the summer. Wow. That's dope. And uh, I didn't really have no money for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I expressed that to him. And yeah. he was like, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. That's dope. Uh, and he took me under his wing. Um, I met a bunch of other black professionals like Rada Blank, who did a 40-year-old version, which is on Netflix. I met Charles King. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the CEO of Macro. And uh, from there, it was just like so many people of color, specifically black people, that were like, all right, we want to look after and kind of mentor this young man and kind of just expose him to what it's like in the entertainment and more specifically the film industry. And then from there, I was like, all right, film is cool. I played football in college. I was playing football, and I was like, football is great, but let me see what else is out there. And uh, unfortunately, I had suffered an injury in college that I was still working through. So I had to at least think about, like, football might not be in my future for very long. Right. And uh, filmmaking was kind of something I began to fall in love with. Right. And um, from there, man, it, it just was um, a lot of love poured into me by a lot of my mentors, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Especially Nate Parker, man. Like I was just about to ask you that because I just felt like, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking about Nate Parker, about Birth of a Nation, because there were so many other movies that he told about black stories. Just yeah. in general, other um, black directors and producers. But I felt like Nate Parker had a particular voice with Birth of a Nation. It, yeah. Sh- yeah. it showed something that wasn't shown already. Like you have all these other black movies that don't really depict what it is to experience that black experience. So to have Nate Parker reach out to you, yeah. Yeah. he must have sh- um, seen something in you, of course. Um, oh, but also, like, how did that feel internally, knowing that like you have people with these strong black voices reaching out to you because they see something that is just. Yeah, yeah, energy and, and your light and it's raw talent because you it's not like you say you you didn't have like no really yeah. formal training like this this yeah. you doing your own thing how did that feel it, it felt great um I, I think a lot of times especially as like black people yeah we feel like we're so by ourselves at times yeah and it's not a lot of support and we're always trying to figure out like how do we get to this level how do we do that and we always are so by ourselves in that journey yeah and um when somebody like nate or any of the other people kind of was like all right this is what you need to do this is how you should do it this is the way you should carry yourself yeah that meant a lot especially like for me as a black man as a young black man at the time uh, my parents didn't know about this my father he works for the post office my mother is a social worker they don't know anything about the entertainment industry right. Right. so for these uh, for a dude like nate parker to step in and do something like this, which he didn't have to. He right. could have just simply been like, all right, this is my way of giving back. I already put him on. Right. He has to figure it out. But he was like, all right, I want to constantly pour into this young man to kind of see, all right, where can he take it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that meant a lot for me. And then um, just speaking of like the work Nate has done, um, it wasn't just me. 
And he, he was able to do that at the time for the first film school. And it's now in his sixth year. Um, it was around 30 of us each year. Yeah. Oh, wow. So now he's fostered a community of young black men and women mm-hmm. um, that are aspiring filmmakers, actors, directors, producers, photographers. I mean, even people that um, at the time were interested in film are now doing um, activism work. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many different career paths. But what he did was he was able to bring us together and kind of build a community. And uh, See, just that kind of like relationship and seeing that, yeah. that inspires me to kind of like, he did that for me. Now I have to get back to right, who's the next young right. dude right. or young woman um, that could use some advice or just uh, maybe an, even an opportunity. So nice. Do you want to um, break the ice with the break the ice question? Yes. Yeah. Before we get to nitty gritty. Yes. Um, I mean, we already did. More to it. We got <laughs> to get more to it. What is your favorite football movie and what is your favorite movie? Those two. Ooh. So your favorite football movie and your favorite yeah. movie. So my favorite football movie is definitely uh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, okay. It's a classic. About that. Yeah, yeah, I gotta. Wait, see who's it. the main actor? Because maybe um, I've seen that. I'm forgetting his name, but you saw if you saw um, Notorious, you yes. know the dude that played uh, um, P Diddy. He played Diddy in the yes, film. Yes, yes. He's he's in that film, so yeah. he played the running back. Uh, that's a classic. Uh, Friday Night Lights, and they ended up making a TV show. And then my favorite movie. It's tough because I watch so many movies that it'll keep switching. But right. um, I got two. It's either Forrest Gump. Oh, I like God. Forrest Gump a lot. I love Forrest Gump. It's yeah, just a great story. story. The, the story, story is yeah, it's crazy. A story. And then it's Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I Curious love that movie. I fell asleep on that one. That's when he was that's, um getting smaller by time. Yeah, right? he kept, he kept getting younger. It was just so sad. And I'm like, maybe I gotta revisit it. You gotta. Re- I was young when I watched it. You, I watched it when I was younger. Yeah. And I might have fell asleep too. Yeah. And then I think it was on like TNT. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this is a good movie. I started crying. Yeah, I was yeah. like, damn, that's so sad. Somebody is born old and they just keep getting younger. Yeah. I was like, damn. And then he said, saw his whole life just pass by. That's a, it was Brad Pitt that was in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, yeah that was phenomenal role. Um, Taraji Henson. Cause didn't she Taraji was in that. That yeah. was her first big role. Yeah. Like mainstream oh. role. Yeah. And um, who was the other dude? Uh, Mahershala Ali. He was oh. in that. He um he ended up winning an Oscar for Green Book. He was in a couple of films, but like oh, you talking about the the dark skinned dude that was in um Luke Cage? Uh yes, he yes, was. I like him. He's a yes, really good. Yes, Ali. Actor. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is a just the cast is crazy yeah. when you look back at it. Yeah. Um, but that movie that's probably my two favorite. But I, I mean, if you ask me next week, I probably got another two favorite <laughs> films, honestly. But so you talked about it already. You um kind of like went into like how you how like you know your football. You know your football career and you know pursuing football and kind of getting into film kind of like i guess how they kind of intertwined and came into uh, at some point it seemed like they came into con i wouldn't say conflict because you said you know you had your injury and you yeah. determined like you know this is what i need to do um how would you say the two have informed each other if they have or shaped your perspective i think um definitely my relationship with sports at the time yeah I was so invested in sports, which I'm so grateful for. Um, it provided me a full scholarship mm-hmm. to college, um, so many amazing relationships. But it also made me understand that, especially sports, as you continue on and you move further along it, the journey of uh, just like collegiate sports and stuff, it's a business. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me grow up fast once I got injured because I was like, wow, as much as you're um, an asset yeah. to a program and a school, um, at any moment, you could then become a liability right. and everybody around you uh, perspective and your relationship could change. Wow. And, um, you know, even as I navigate the world and like entertainment and film, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
you're valued and you're an asset and everybody loves you until the moment you're not. Right. And um, that that definitely my relationship with football then transitioning into entertainment and film. Mm. Um, I definitely am able to pull different things from each side. Yeah. And uh, especially like now, my little brother, he plays football. Yeah, um, I've seen the thing you was working on with him too. Yeah, he's uh, he he's he's definitely talented, yeah. but um, I didn't have nobody teaching me nothing with football. My dad, my pe- my mom, they they invested a lot of money into like making sure I had the best training and stuff. Yeah. But they didn't really know the business side of it and everything. So um, now I'm able to at least able to inform him and right. other younger athletes from my neighborhood. Like, all right, this is what you got to do. And um, yeah, since since I went like to college, there's probably I mean just with the Harlem Jets and in Harlem, there's probably at least a hundred plus athletes in the last six years that have at least been able to go play college sports mm. so um you know the information is there now yeah. P- people are becoming a lot more informed that's good that's did tough. you did you so i know that you you said you got the scholarship to play football at the Rhode island university yeah. so besides playing football did you still continue that university experience yeah while i was in school um i was involved with a lot so after i got injured i tore my shoulder it was a, a crazy accident um i probably I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back. Yeah. Um, a couple doctors was, it was a whole thing. Doctors was like, hey, you should get surgery. But uh, I took the time while I was injured to be involved in on campus. Mm-hmm. So uh, I joined the student government. I was involved in the- That's uh, active. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got straight to it. I mean, yeah. I, I went through a real serious depression during that time. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, yo, man, I got to get out of this. The crazy thing, really the, the order that it happened is I went to my on-campus ministry at my school. It was mm-hmm. this thing called Sankofa. And uh, it was a collective of tons of uh, students of color that all praised. Mm-hmm. And um, there were students that, it might have been like two other athletes there, somebody on the basketball team, and then one other football player. And um, all of these kids were involved in stuff outside of the athletes. And I'm like, damn. Like, I already go here for free. Yeah, right. I, might need well to, I might as well go do stuff. Yeah. And, you know, although the athletes are very busy, you get a lot of free time. Yeah. You know, what you choose to do with your time is on you. But I was like, man, I'm injured. I ain't, I ain't even playing. Right. So I was like, all right, let me go to student government. I went to one meeting. I was like, all right. They were like, all right, to join, you got to get voted in. Mm-hmm. So I put my name on the ballot. I told a bunch of my teammates, um, told some other people. And, uh, yeah, I ended up becoming freshman representative. And then after that, I ran again the next year. I became on-campus representative. And then I was like, all right, let me just keep going to clubs. And uh, I just kept meeting people, man. And um, I really immersed myself in the university. And uh, I'm very thankful for, like, I met some amazing people. And then even post my athletic career in my university um, uh, experience, Mm -hmm. these people have looked after me, uh, helped me out in tremendous ways. But while I was going through what I was going through, the thing that really pushed me was just like I, I need to grow yeah i need to grow past just i'm an athlete but more so like who am i who can i be and me being involved with things in college and the different clubs and meeting people really helped me find my true identity of who i wanted to be and who i am so damn that's beautiful because so, you don't understand my bad yeah, no um i just feel like so many people have that issue because even me when i was in school yeah. i wanted to i'm like i want to go to this program i want to do this class but then you work in a nine to five but like you said you make time for stuff that you gonna make time for absolutely and you know of course we can always reflect like damn i should have did this but i hope you guys are listening because he he basically exposed himself 
And while exposing himself, he basically made a whole new network yeah. that basically brought him into fruition to making those next steps. And even though he didn't know what he was doing at the time, like he didn't know where it was going to take him, mm. he pushed himself through. And so I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And I hope you guys can learn from that. And like you said, uh, anything that you decide to do, like those programs, try to take advantage of it because mm. you don't know what doors is going to open for you, you know, you know, yeah. during your journey. And even for like, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a full scholarship. Even if you don't have a full scholarship, I think... Like you said, making the time for these things. Yeah. If you in school, you might as well you might as well do other stuff. Especially like your university network. Yeah. Like that's what you I mean, that's what you're paying for. Right. Right? Like all of these clubs at your university, that's in your tuition. Right. All of that is embedded in what you're paying for. So be involved, like meet people. And honestly, like all the things that you're doing now and or while you're in college, that's what you're investing in for your future. That's right. True. You know, so and a lot of times too, like you said, when it comes to college too, is the best way to network because everyone, everyone at, to the extent they they want to do what they they go in there because they want to be a better version of themselves and they want to tap into whatever career field they want to. So nine times out of ten, you you're willing. People, these people are willing to work just just to work not they don't want no money they don't want nothing a lot of time when you outside when you outside you network outside of school and you come out of college what you realize is a lot of people won't do anything unless they see there's something in it for them right. if that makes sense yeah. you know what i mean on like some superficial you're not like on some sur surface level thing but when you're in college you're able to network with people who are just in the same yeah yeah the, the same, same hustle yeah, yeah the same yeah. level y'all all trying to get after at least or trying to figure out what y'all gonna get after right and i, I know that um what, what was the name of high school again? Uh, Cardinal Hayes. Cardinal Hayes. So I know that you went to Cardinal Hayes and then you actually, you actually end up becoming an um, director, director of ambassador. No, nah, uh, director of admissions. Director of admissions, my soul, yeah. my fault. No, you good. Um, but it kind of goes into like, you know, how you've always been able to like network. Like how, yeah. how, how, like, how were you able to like maintain those relationships throughout high school? And like the fact that you was able to go back there and like get a job at, yeah. at, at that level, that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, Cardinal Hayes, I mean, the the name carries so much weight, especially, yeah. like, in New York City. And then for some, even, like, throughout the country, um, the school has produced so many amazing people. While I was there, like, I, I mentioned I played football and stuff. Um, but I was always, like, closely, um, I was still close to the school. Yeah. And uh, I was working on a TV show. I was a part of this apprentice program with The Blacklist, uh, which is on NBC. And uh, during the pandemic, they were looking for an admissions director. Mm -hmm. um, they brought up the idea like, hey, Sean, do you know somebody that's interested? I said, uh, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I was like, it, it was for me, it was like, all right, I know I can make films now. Mm -hmm. um, I've, at that point, I've been in film festivals. I'm working on one of the top shows. But I was like, I don't really want to work for a show anymore. Yeah. I kind of know I can make films, but let me do this independently. Yeah. But also, one, not even I need more money, but more so I need something outside of film. Because throughout my whole like journey, whether it was through sports, film, I've never kind of been boxed in as like, mm -hmm. ah, you're a filmmaker, or you're yeah. an athlete. It was kind of like, I'm kind of like the shapeshifter. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. And uh, going back to Hayes, I was like, Man, this is a great opportunity. I'm young. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way admissions was being ran at the high school level, especially in the Catholic schools, I knew it wasn't going to last. Mm -hmm. um, the way the world is changing, yeah. you can't really be 
out of the whole media world. Right, right. Like, media is literally running the world That's now. That's true. Every, every industry. Everything. Yeah. And uh, Hayes at the time was going through a decline in admissions. And for a Catholic school, the only way to keep your doors open is to have kids pay intuition. Yeah, that's true. Mm, okay. And when you talk about, like, Cardinal Hayes, it's in the poorest county in America, in the South Bronx. Mm. Like, the average income, household income, I believe, um, and don't quote me on this, I believe it was under $23,000 for wow. the household income. That's nothing, basically. Yeah, and yeah. tuition is $7,000. That's crazy. So, yeah. my whole thing was like, all right, you ain't going to just be able to recruit kids from the South Bronx. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. that's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to afford it. Yeah. But I want to still provide opportunities for those kids to come here. But I'm going to have to market the school to everybody throughout New York City. Yeah. And bring in who can afford it. And then with whatever scholarships, I'll have to bring in the kids that, um, you know, really want to be at the school and be the best fit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what I was at. Um, while I was at Hayes, that's what I marketed to them. I was like, hey. Get me here. I'll increase your numbers. Yeah. I'll make the school look good, and I'll make sure the brand is solid. And that's perfect. You went to school for public relations, right? Yep. I studied PR in school. How did you even hear about um, Cardinal Hayes? Because I've heard about Cardinal Hayes because I have friends that went there, and yeah. I was after school programs. But while I was in, while I was at my public school, you know, repertory and only had limited access to certain functions, Cardinal Hayes, which, like you said, which was like tucked away in a corner in this yeah. community. They had access to so many programs where you was able to play football. They had different um, opportunities in that particular school. And that's why I said we appreciate you still trying to make sure people of that community can still go there. Um, what, what, how did you hear about that school? Because even when yeah. I was in middle school and I was applying to schools, current, I mean, it's a Catholic school, I didn't hear about it. I didn't really know about it. But how did you even get your foot into that school? So I played football for the Harlem Jets. And it was this dude, um, one of my guys, man, uh, Ali. Everybody in Harlem knows this dude named Ali. He's a, he's a noob. And uh, he went to Cardinal Hayes. So while yeah. I was playing youth football, he was like, y'all all here need to go to Cardinal Hayes. And I was like, man, my middle school, which then transitions to a high school, didn't have football. I was like, I really want to keep playing, and I hopefully want to earn a scholarship to college because my parents can't really afford college. So I was like, all right, I'll go to Cardinal Hayes. I never yeah. really wore a uniform before. It's a Catholic school. I'm Baptist. So I was like, all right, I'll do the transition. So that's how I found out, found mm -hmm. out about the school. And then for me, I was like, man, it's only two train stops away from where I live in Harlem. So that's how I found about uh, found out about Cardinal Hayes. And so y'all y'all both from Harlem, right? Yes. Yeah. So what like what train line y'all on? Like um A B C D. Like around like one twenty fifth. Like what? Somewhere over there. Somewhere over there. Listen, Harlem <laughs> is small. I'm so just scared. It's a small world. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm from uh from two thirds. So. Okay. Uh, I'm from I'm born and raised in Harlem. Yeah. Um, Harlem is beautiful. Like it's it's my favorite part of the city. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be biased, but um, it's where the black people. It's where yeah. the greatness is for black folks. I yeah. think so. How I long you live in Harlem for? My whole life. So my I'm third generation Harlemite. So my grandmother, um, she moved to Harlem in like the fifties. Wow. Um, then my mom and dad was born there. Um, so yeah, I've been. I'm, I'm a Harlemite for real. Then so would you would you? I know you said you also Trini, right? Yeah. Would you also consider yourself indigenous as well to Harlem? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, of I, I would say I'm. I'm, <laughs> she said, you I'm, I'm Trini. Uh, see, my my father's Trini. Yeah. 
And then my mom is American, mm-hmm. but you know my my Trini side is strong. Yeah. Um, my grandfather lives in Canada, but he's Trini. My yeah. grand my, my grandmother she lives in Vegas. Mm. She's Trini. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely Trini to the bone. So Trini to the bone. So uh, definitely yeah. Trini and proud, but yeah. also very proud of like my American side. Mm. So. Um, but definitely, if you want to say, I'm indigenous to Harlem. Though. Yeah. Right. I like that. I never heard that before. <laughs> I mean, listen. But somebody say, I'm, but, ha- I'm, ha- I'm original Harlem indigenous. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, y'all both from being from Harlem, like, how do y'all feel about the changes that have been happening? Like, um, I, don't, I don't live in Harlem right now, but of course, my fam, uh, most of my family live over there, and I always go over there. But um, it's definitely different. Every time I go there, there's always something new. And the the essence of Harlem is still, it's still somewhat the same because I feel like it's very free over there very loving i feel like everybody cares Every, mm-hmm. it's just like everybody's in their own space but living together yeah that's yeah. my experience it's i do feel active. it's very active yeah. that's one thing you won't have a good time in harlem um yeah. and like i said the changes i'm still trying to have an appetite for because you get growing up in harlem you get so nostalgic to how harlem was yeah. mm-hmm. and of course there's always going to be changes anywhere you go but i'm still trying to take it all in yeah. what about you yeah um see my whole perspective on like the way Harlem used to be like I remember growing up in Harlem like it was always beautiful because I remember the days everybody was outside right. I used to play in front of my yeah. building as a kid yes. um, it was always and it still is always very beautiful during the summertime yeah. but I think like as more foreigners started to move in yeah. um, Harlem changed not because like I don't think as many black people were being forced out mm-hmm. but so many other people were able to move in and kind of move into these nicer buildings, yeah. renovated buildings. Right. And uh, the people that have been here for so long aren't even really able to move into these places. Mm-hmm. So that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, I still think Harlem is still like, although like some of my friends in D.C. be like, Harlem is gentrified like D.C. I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, it's still very black. Yeah. yeah. Like, That's true. you go in any block in Harlem, it's still mostly black people living on that block. I would definitely say out of all the birds who like I, I can go to Harlem and find a lot of black owned stuff. Yeah. A lot of black owned shops too. And it's like see like when you come to Brooklyn, yeah. It's like Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Queens that's true. is like yeah. you got like Caribbeans, Asians, Bronx, you got like uh, um, it's everything. Like yeah, Hispanics, Hispanics, Caribbeans, Africans. Yeah. But like in Harlem, it's, that's like black Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. that's true. And that's probably the only place in the city that's still like that. Um, I think the change is, is it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, especially as like 125th Street, which is the heart of Harlem, mm-hmm. continues to evolve and like these bigger brand stuff stuff starts to come to Harlem. Yeah, like, because yeah. 125th Street is starting to look like Times Square. I know, I know. It got a Chick-fil-A now. I know, not, that's not crazy. Got a Chick-fil-A. It's crazy. You would have never thought, like, I remember Chick-fil-A. it was no Chick-fil-A's in New York. Yeah. yeah. That is a Chick-fil-A in Harlem. Harlem. Yeah. And uh, you don't even got like, you don't even see small businesses on mm-hmm. 25th. Yeah. And I think that's the most scary thing is that, like, for a place like Harlem, that's, that's always been a place where, like, small black-owned businesses mm-hmm. could go yeah. and kind of find their place and, like, all right, where can we provide our our products to our people? Right. Yeah. And, when you know, when you add big that's businesses true. like that and now they got a Nike store there, all those type of things kind of pushes away, like, those old school. I mean, back in the days, I don't know if y'all remember, but y'all probably do. There used to be sneaker stores yeah. that were like not name brand. I know yeah. you're talking about, yeah. But now you don't see those no more. Yeah. And those are kind of vanquished. Right. Like, and it's, it kind of stops black innovation in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. And for us as black people, where do we find our place in kind of like this economy? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's the scariest thing for Harlem is like, 
what does an economy look like in Harlem? And yeah. for you know, the thing that is the most frustrating is that people should be able to work where they live. That's, yeah. that, yo, that's a fact. That takes a toll on people's mental health. It makes it a lot yeah. more easier. Like, imagine you don't have to go to all the way to Brooklyn or Manhattan, you know, be away from your, your kids or like your community. Like if you could just work in where you where you live at and go to school where you live at, it makes things a lot more easier. It takes a better toll on your mental. Absolutely. And then you think about like just group up economics. Yeah. Like you look at like communities like the Heights is very interesting because now you see like I don't know and they seem to be like Hispanic owned businesses. Yeah. A lot of those people live in the neighborhood. They can work there. You mm-hmm. talk about Chinatown. They can work there. Little Italy. All these different places. Even if you go downtown, it was just predominantly white neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. These people work there. Yeah. You talk about Harlem. These people got to go downtown. Yeah. They got to yeah. go all over Queens, the place to everything. work. Yeah. And that's so funny that you talk about group economics because I was having this conversation because when I was walking down the block, there was this new shop that, um, you know, they have those cannabis industries or whatever popping up. Either way, you just see these new merchants on the same block. And it's crazy that um, my sister was reflecting on a conversation that she had with one of her friends, like literally less than five years ago, where they was like, oh, we should we should have our shop, we should do it here. Unfortunately, those steps were never made. Um, but now you see you see Billy from East Village mm-hmm. has a shop right there in Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, you know, Michael down the block from Harlem was just talking about opening a shop there. So it just sucks that, you know, a lot of these places, you know, like you said, rent has a big is a big influence because yeah. your rent is increasing. These these leases for these stores are increasing. So a lot of people that do have the money at that time is able to come into our neighborhood and put these new shops that has nothing to do with the black community, that doesn't benefit the black community, mm-hmm. but they're able to make sure that they're able to eat. Um, but it's, it's kind of bittersweet because, you know, yeah. when, when do we take the opportunity to, all right, this this um, store is going out of business, great. Let bet me put yourself. my business in here. Let me bet yeah. on myself. And that's the that's the thing. I think we need to bet on ourselves more before these people take our, you know, because I feel like we're supposed to eat from the crop first. You know, it was in our neighborhood. Well, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, you know, the just to add on, like, the next scary thing is that, like, you don't really see any black-owned stores on 2-5th. Maybe if you go, like, towards the east side, you might see some yeah. on 2-5th. It may be, like, I probably could count maybe 10. But the next scary thing is that you see the people that have these little pop-up stands on the streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it does turn into like a 42nd or 34th Street, then they're gonna, police could possibly enforce like yeah. you can't be out here yeah, like yeah. that no more. Yeah. And them people been there for us. Yeah, for yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's Harlem. Exactly. That's a part of Harlem. Yeah. And then, like you said, that's a part of Harlem that takes away the entrepreneurship mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it just trickles down. And then, you know, just for people that would like to be, you know, another generation of a Harlemite to stay there. Yeah. That kind of dwindles and then, you know, for lack of words, it just becomes history. You might have to come up with a film called The Harlem Night. Harlem Night. We call it Harlem Night? The Harlem Night? Yeah. I was going to ask you one thing. Speaking on the essence of um, Harlem, you know, you created uh, that documentary called Showtime. Yeah. And it was basically a film about people dancing on the trains. What was your inspiration behind that? Yeah, Showtime... um, so I was interning in LA. Um, I was interning for this company, Macro, yeah. and uh, it was my last week of the internship. And it was like, come up with something original. It doesn't have to be a show, just something creative. I guess they just wanted interns to just be productive and say they did something at the end. Yeah. I was like, look, y'all give me an opportunity to present in front of a bunch of executives. I'm going to come up with something. Right. I ain't come yeah. from LA. I ain't come from Harlem to LA for a summer just to be like, I just was here. Yeah. So. I called a couple people. I was like, man, I got a couple ideas. And uh, 
I called my mentor, Coors, and I was like, yo, I think I got an idea for a film. Uh, it's about these kids that dance on the train in New York. He was like, this is interesting. Yeah. And then I just, me and him just kept beating each other, like throwing ideas at each other. And uh, he was like, all right, I think you got some here. And then we put it together. I didn't really have much of an idea on how to put together a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So he helped me format it. And uh, it was really inspired by like my friends that danced on the train. Like I knew who they were. Yeah. Um, people in my community somewhat knew who they were. But mm-hmm. when they get on the train, nobody knows who they are. They just see them mm-hmm. as kids dancing on a train. Mm-hmm. So I had the idea of like, once they leave the train, what is their life like? Mm. And then that kind of puts the perspective not on like, who are these people on the train that see them, but more so, what is it like for viewers to see what it's like when they go back to their community? Mm-hmm. Wow. So then it kind of brings their whole lifestyle and their life into full circle. Mm-hmm. And then I just added elements like, all right, yes, that's what it's like once they leave the train, but what are they trying to grind for? What yeah. are they working hard for? And uh, I was like, what if they got the opportunity to go to Juilliard? Mm-hmm. These kids are talented. They can dance, but yeah. they just don't really have the formal training. Mm-hmm. And uh, Showtime kind of took place in the world post getting light, like light feet era, yeah. um, which kind of inspired the whole like getting on the train and everything and dancing. It was like, all right, light feet kind of dwindled down. Yeah. Um, it kind of turned into like gangs and all that. And uh, really, that's kind of how I built the whole world of Showtime and kind of built that storyline. It was like, all right. What is the story of my friends? What will people like to know about once these kids leave the train? And mm-hmm. then what type of opportunities could come from uh, dancing on the train? And then after we filmed the film, uh, my lead actor, Joel, he ended up with his team, Waffle, ended up being on Ellen. They were on wow. uh, America's yeah, I recognize Got his Talent. Face. Yeah, they yeah. were on America's Got Talent. Yeah. Um, they ended up making it far. So, like, that just, and this was before they got there, not to say, like, this kind of put them in position. But it's like a manifest. It kind of manifested. Yeah, and it it was so beautiful. And I had so many like heart to heart moments with him along filming with it because he believed in me. Like, he didn't know me from anywhere, Mm -hmm. but he understood like the importance of telling this story because we've never seen that type of film shown. And uh, it was just so beautiful to see like not only a whole team, but my community come together and be like, all right, we're going to give you $5, $20, $500 into making this film. And uh, we got it done. We showed it in over, I want to say, 57 film festivals. Uh, Magic Johnson uh, bought the rights to it to show on his uh, TV network, Aspire TV. Wow. Um, it was on Fox Soul. Vivica yeah. A. Fox shouted you out. Yes. You had a lot going on. It, it was beautiful, mm-hmm. man. So. Yeah, for me, like that was like when I, when I was watching your films, that was, that was the one that stood out to me the most because I felt like it was very innovative because... It was something a story that I know or that, you know, our community, especially like a New York culture thing. Like that's yeah. That's like a thing that we know and um I felt like a story being a story around it was needed. And not only I feel like it's just like a teaser because I feel like there's so much more that you can explore with this with what 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 was shown. Yeah. Um but me and her kinda got kinda the debate on whether or not if you know the culture in itself is very unappreciated, she didn't like that. I mean, I was kind of, I was kind of conflicted about you should use the word unappreciated because I feel like us, our culture, we know when we see it, we we appreciate it. But like you said, like if you are someone who's coming from New York or who aren't from the city and you see to see kids as dancing on trains, you don't really see, they don't really get their flowers in a way that they should. Yeah. Why do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's a culture that's unappreciated, or do you feel like I, like, I think. <laughs> Especially with that film, yeah, it was something that like wasn't just about just dancers though. Mm. 
so many people that are like on the train, on the streets, just like, you know, performers or artists in the city. Everybody's looking for opportunity. Mm-hmm. And at least in this city, like, they may be unappreciated until they are appreciated and they get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, like, for those kids that dance on the train, at least in New York, I want to say they underappreciate it because the right people appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, some of them make more money than I do on a <laughs> daily basis from work. And uh, for them, it was just like, yo, let, let me highlight them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, other people follow suit. And now they're in commercials and all that. Like, so I want to say they underappreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely are those that should be... Um, they're definitely the cream of the crop in New York. Yeah. Those are the go-getters. Yeah. If you wake up every morning, go on the train in front of strangers. Yeah. And I ain't going to say they beg for money, but they say, hey, if you'd like to donate. Yeah. Right. I mean, that takes a lot of courage, mm-hmm. confidence. And even more than that, like, it shows that you're dedicated to your craft. So, mm-hmm. like, just in general, like, they, they're some of the most phenomenal New Yorkers. And they, they're the epitome of, like, all right, New York, this is the city that never sleeps. This, yeah. they, they're the hustlers of, yeah. of the city, I think. Yeah, that's the that's the same token I felt too. That's the only reason I didn't want to use the word unappreciated, even even though it was just a question. Yeah. But I was like, the question itself is basically saying that it's possibly unappreciated. And I never felt that it was unappreciated from anybody. I just felt like everybody on that train was on a hustle and bus. We got people going to work, tired. Yeah. You got people that's yeah. you know internalizing their life. You got people begging, and you got people dancing and making money. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So I don't, I necessarily never thought that it was unappreciative. Yeah. I just always seen that I was like, a lot of time when I used to see people on, dance on a train, I always clap for them. Yeah. And usually every time I always clap, everybody else will clap. Probably. But it, sometimes if you don't clap, they won't clap. And I don't, yeah. I, I don't think it was necessarily people who didn't appreciate them because you see when I clap, they clap. And it wasn't just, oh, let me clap because Shorty clapping. I yeah. think that everybody was in their mind. Everybody was in a hustle bustle. Mm-hmm. So we never not appreciate them. It was just that, Everybody, it's New York. It's a lot it's going on. It's right, lot, right. It, um, so I'm yeah. glad that you felt the same way. But um, going back to like before, like, are there any projects of yours that you feel like you would like to like expand and go more in depth with, or you feel like, hey, these are things I did, and it's, it is what it is, and I'm done. I don't. At least right now, like, I think all those projects were for me. I was at a certain point in like my filmmaking career, yeah, and even my. Uh, just who I was as a person. Mm. So I think those projects are kind of set in stone where they are. Yeah. I would have, I would have loved to expand it Showtime. Yeah. But it was just so much going on. Like I was still in college when I made yeah. that. I was still playing football, which is crazy. Like I filmed oh, that yeah. during like spring break. Mm. Wow. So like if I would have did that film now, then I probably would have expanded into like a full length film. But um, all of those projects that I've done before, those were like, for the moment yeah. those were like alright this is where the world is now this is why these stories need to be told um, so yeah I don't think the, any of those old projects that are like I want will want to revisit and expand though nice. if the time if the time is right then you'll it'll, that'll be a different experience but like you yeah. said yeah. that if, moment who, who knows man yeah. if, if it's in God's plans for me to revisit any yeah. projects and if some investors is like, yo, right, we right. like that project enough. Yeah. We need you to get back to it. <laughs> then I'm on it. Said, the money right, I'm If there. the money right, look, then then it could happen. But yeah. um, I'm definitely excited for like new work. It's yeah. a it's a lot of the world has changed. Yeah. So that was pre pandemic. Yeah. The world has changed. Mm. There's so many more stories to tell. So what are some new projects that you have going on? Um, I know I seen the um, the Black Democrat was one of those. Yeah, the, the Black Democrat that should be released this year. Um, I filmed that during the pandemic. Um, It follows a politician in Harlem Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, was running during the pandemic. 
and uh, as you know, the pandemic oh, was crazy. Yeah. Twenty twenty. I mean, it, it seems like it was so long ago, but it was so. It was just yesterday. Right. Yeah. And uh, that was probably the biggest election year, definitely of our generation. Yeah. But um. It's a whole pandemic going on. It was the pandemic. You had Donald Trump running again. Yeah. You had Joe Biden. But more importantly, you had local elections happening. Yeah. And I got laid off during that time. And I was like, man, I just need to pick up my camera and just shoot. Mm -hmm. And I followed Craig Schley as he was running to run for Central Harlem. And we talk about, like, how Harlem is changing. Mm -hmm. That was such an integral part of, like, the future of Harlem 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow. he wanted to represent our community. So, really, that documentary just followed... What is Harlem like um, from a political level and like our people's political intelligence? Mm -hmm. What do we view the world as? Because um, so many times, like during that year, it was crazy. Joe Biden was like, uh, you ain't black if you don't vote Democrat. Yo, right, I, know, I understand how people let that slide and they still voted for him. I seen yeah. that. I was like, really? This is where we at? And this, and I mean, like, fortunately enough, it couldn't have come at a better time for me as a oh filmmaker. God, yeah. I'm like, I'm filming a fucking, I mean, excuse my language, a political documentary. Yeah. And uh, this dude says that. And at yeah. the time, I'm filming people from Harlem that are conservative. Yeah. That are far left, far right. Um, People don't, have been there since Vincent yeah. Biden been doing his bullshit in the nineties. They see what yeah. he's been doing. Back and they, and they don't. Right. They don't that, care if it's that just got me heated. Black, in white, yeah. Democrat, Republican. They care about you know what's happening to them. Yeah. So I was able to film like not only what it's like to run at a grassroots grassroots level mm -hmm. of uh, politics, but also what the perspectives are like of people in the community, which mm -hmm. is so important, especially as like. Black people political views are not a monolith. Yeah, that's we that's think really so cool. differently. Yeah. And that documentary, I'm very excited. I'm I'm still editing it, mm. but um just the views that I was able to capture, mm. um, I think I think it's so beautiful and it's so important. And especially as we lead into the next election, um, I think that project is just gonna be so great for people to have discussions yeah. about. And uh Another project I'm working on, and it's funny, like all my projects. I don't want to say all my projects is about Harlem, but like no, but that's what I love, I love man. No, I love it, that. It's what I, I love. I seen it in your work, like it's like uh, it's very raw, very New York, um, very prideful. I get a sense of like where you're from when I see your work. Nah, thank you. And uh, the next project I just finished filming last summer was uh, about King Dome Tournament, which mm -hmm. is um, so much history has happened in this basketball tournament in the middle of Foster, also known as King Towers. Mm -hmm. Um, between 112th and 115th Street, um, that tournament's founder, Honcho, he actually retired this year after 37 years of putting that tournament together in Harlem. Mm -hmm. So just a little notes about that tournament. Um, some would say Light Feet was created in Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So Voice of Harlem, who created uh, No Music, yeah, actually yeah. started created No Music in Kingdom Tournament. So he actually was saying No Music with the claps and everything three years before he actually got in the studio and recorded that. Mm. So from there, DJ Webstar was there. Um, Tiana Taylor's first time singing was there. You had mm. people like Dame Dash, Diddy, um, NBA players like Kimball Walker, all going to this tournament yeah. um, right in the middle of the projects. And, you know, historically, just Kingdom, Foster Projects has probably been one of the most violent and dangerous projects in Harlem. But yeah. that tournament has remained a staple of, of the community for yeah, so long together and uh, I was able to film this summer which was probably I think I haven't been able to go to Kingdom because uh, it's not in my hood in Harlem and mm -hmm. Harlem is so divided yeah. Yeah. and uh, I was able to be a part of that tournament this summer just filming and documenting it um, 
it was just so beautiful, man. There was no violence this year. Queen of Harlem, Michelle Smalls was a part of it. Puma came in, um, Amazon. Dope. And uh, I was able to just document what this tournament is. I was able to get archival footage from the 80s. Oh, that's wow. And uh, I'm finishing that up. Um, hopefully, should have a couple edits uh, in the next couple weeks. Yeah. But um, those are just some a part of just some of the stories I like to tell. Yeah. Because uh, I was speaking to Miss uh, Dickens, Inez Dickens, who's uh, the representative, Assemblywoman of Harlem. And I was telling her, as, you know, people in Harlem get older, you know, the, the gatekeepers, for lack of words, get yeah. older and they pass, pass away. The history of Harlem will also. Mm. Pass away. And if nobody yeah. is documenting this, all these people that come in the next 20 years, they'll be able to tell whatever narrative they want to about mm-hmm. our community. And that is so dangerous. And you talk about history throughout thousands of years ago whoever controls it man i mean they create whatever narrative they want about the people shit especially with ai and all these all this new technology yeah, advancement it's scary yeah, it's it scary is. it's it scary is. and for me as a filmmaker I, I take a tremendous pride and uh responsibility and really putting together these stories and yeah. cultivating just you know the necessary components that'll make sure that we're represented in the best light right because it's so important, man. I, I've seen so many people, when they pass away, they say so many things about them. And you don't even see anything about them. Like, you don't see photos. You don't see videos. Yeah. And we got to document ourselves. So even for y'all and anybody watching this, like, take more photos, record. Mm-hmm. Y'all can film make too. Y'all already doing your podcast. Tell right. the stories of y'all family members. Mm-hmm. It's so important, especially as y'all talk about y'all grandkids, y'all great-grandkids. Mm-hmm. Like, they got to know. It's funny, my grandma, my grandma, she was drinking wine one night, and she was like, Isaiah, I want you to tell my story when I pass. And I took it, I took it to pride, because, like, my grandma, she's a very, she's a very hard woman, and it's a, lot, it's a lot, I don't know about her, but she was just telling me mad different things. I'm like, well, like, I could really tell a story about her life if I wanted to, but I think, like you said, it's really important to, like, document, you know, our lives, but also the people that we love and stuff like that but yeah i'm definitely gonna do that i'm probably gonna have to that was great yeah. I, I love this i but, love that because you know yeah. it's so funny i was talking so funny everything's so funny um no um my brother was telling you like we was going past you know through harlem and going through the architecture and we'll literally just walk around and look at the scriptures and everything a part of like the old architecture and i didn't know like until the last two years that we actually had castles in harlem I don't know if you ever looked at the architecture, but mm-hmm. it's I'm only bringing this up because I would have never known that if I never stopped and look at, okay, you could literally look at a building and see where the new architecture was made, mm-hmm. you know, in the last 20 years. So a lot of the old history of Harlem is being erased, whether it's, you know, modifications, um, changes, and mm-hmm. stories. So like I said, yeah. I truly resonate with what you're saying. And I like you said, I, yeah. I agree. It shouldn't only be you. It should be more of us documenting all the changes that's happening yeah. because like you said we are our own choice um storytellers yeah yeah and it's you know it, it's not as much as it should be we need it yeah we need because it. like especially as we want to really continue to like i don't want to say like expand or like take back but like just remain a staple in our community mm-hmm. we got to be able to control the narrative yeah, yeah. and that's something uh, <laughs> nate parker told me this at a young age man he said yo you got to control the narrative he kept saying that, control the narrative. And uh, as I got older, it started to make more sense to me why it's so important, mm-hmm. especially in the media, man. You could say one thing, now twist it, edit it, and man, you just stuck. You just stuck. Yeah. And uh, that that's just something that we we as black people got to do. Yeah. We have to. And it's crazy going back to what you say about the media, how they twist your words. I don't know. It felt like 
it feels like it's getting worse. You would think that with us having these platforms to have our own voices, that it would be a lot more easier easier to get your meshes clear yeah. and clear and concise. But it feels like, I don't know, I don't know if because there's so many opinions or it feels like, I don't know, I don't know what, uh, what I say it was getting worse or not, but it feels like it's a lot more like foggy. I think it's all about like money. It's a lot yeah. of money involved. Yeah. Everything is clickbait. Yeah. Everybody wants like, I think everybody wants a quick dollar too. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, the uh, the whole thing of like, I right, I want to make it now. Yeah. So any way somebody can kind of get attention, it's just it's more popular and kind of like emphasized in society. Yeah. But like, it'll change. Yeah. This is a phase. Yeah. As long as people stay true and you know remain honorable, mm-hmm. then uh, you'll always win in the end. Right. So you know, just for y'all, like even with y'all show, like. Keep doing what y'all doing, dude. Y'all doing amazing work. Y'all giving a platform to people. And y'all are great folks. So as long as y'all are being honest and true in y'all work, Mm -hmm. it'll pay its dividends down the line. Um, So I think that's for everybody. Like, just remain who you are. Remain solid. And um, you'll win. Nice. I do have... um, Do you have any other questions Hmm. you want to answer? Now, Sean Antoine the second, right? You remind me of this uh, quote, like, just always bet on yourself. Like, literally, when I look yeah. at your page or when I hear you talk, I'm just thinking, bet on yourself. Any advice oh, yeah, that you would fact. give to our viewers that's listening? Biggest advice is um, take more risks. And I, I think when people say take risks, I think there has to be a certain intelligence a part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, I think as we, as we get older... We, we have to become more wiser Amen. because there's so much more the the risk becomes so much more like detrimental mm-hmm. as we get older like you can get in a lot more more you can lose a lot more and get in so much more trouble as you do more yeah. uh, riskful things and if you don't come out successful but take more calculated risks and then more importantly like just do your best to just become a better person mm-hmm. like at the end of the day the only thing that matters is how you're remembered how your family remembers you, Mm -hmm. how your friends remember you and what type of stories they tell about you. So, um, that's the, that's the one thing I could say to people is just, just remain honorable, become a better person and take more calculated risks. Um, bet on yourself. Thank you. And please let us know, uh, where can we follow you and any other links and, uh, platforms that you're on? Uh, I'm on all social medias. Uh, you can follow me at Sean Antoine the second S H A W N A N T O I N E I I. Um, my website is Sean Antoine the second dot com. Uh, if you hit me up on any social medias, I always respond. If you got any questions, um, I'm big on uh, each one teach one. If yes. I can help you, let me know. Um, and if you need any advice, like let me know. And if uh, yeah, if, if y'all, once again, if y'all need anything, just let me know. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Well, that was a wrap. Um, be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all that stuff. Like and subscribe. Signing out. Peace. Thank you.